Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back, offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world. And we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Oslo will be November 28th through December 2nd. We're going to be recording some episodes there. Come see us in the fishbowl. Go to ndc-oslo.com to register. NDC Security Oslo is January 17th through the 20th. Early bird discount for NDC Security Oslo ends October 24th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London will be January 23rd through the 27th. Early bird discount for NDC London ends October 26th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Early bird discount for NDC Porto ends February 1st. Go to NDC Porto to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, what can I say? Small talk, small talk, small talk, small talk. Well, it's very stormy in the Pacific Northwest. Ah, it was very stormy here, too. Yes. Well, that right. was fascinating. So Let's get on with the show. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, no this, I'm is, with you. this is a real problem, actually. Um, yeah. We had tornadoes in Connecticut over the weekend. That's not right. You're not supposed to have tornadoes. We never have tornadoes. Long Island had three touchdowns, and Connecticut had three touchdowns. Wow. That's crazy. We had one over here. And, and it come out as a water spout across the water and go on to the university and tear up a bunch of trees and stuff. So now all the otters are... Like uh, going out to sea, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're just hun- they're hunkering down in their in their bunkers. In their bunkers, wouldn't you? And your your apparently your your uh, ocean we had house over is a foot getting of rain. Yeah, we had over a foot of rain in the weekend, and wow. so the water coming off my the property on the coast is very steep, and the water coming off it has overwhelmed all of my drainage systems. And I have pretty good drainage, but yeah, we'll see how much damage there actually. You haven't been up there subsides. yet. Nah, the cameras are still running. Somehow the power is still going. So I just can see that the pond, even as good as the drainage system and the bypass drainage system for it, is just re- literally overflowed. Hmm. Thanks. Well, we have some new stuff to talk about. So let's start off with Better No Framework. Awesome. Roll the music. <laughs> What do you got? So uh, this is coming out when? The 25th of November? So it's been a week now or so since .NET uh, 6 was released. And um, I've started talking about it on Blazor Train and on the .NET show, which you may not know about, but if you go to the .NET show.com, this is a show that's focused on everything .NET 6 and and going forward. And uh, I started with Xamarin Forms in .NET 5. And sort of transitioning into Maui, uh, Maui with Blazor, Maui with XAML, and now that, all the Mauis, yeah, all the Mauis, and now that .NET six is here, um, we're talking about some of the new things, and uh, I'm highly encouraging you to go check out the .NET Show dot com. It's lots of good stuff going on. And if I had one little tip, and I know I gave this before, but if you've installed previews of any kind on your machine. You probably want to put .NET 6 in a new VM. Hmm. A VM is a good idea anyway as a dev machine. You really should have put the previews on in the VM. I totally agree. 
I totally agree. You should have done that. But uh, if you haven't and you've polluted your machine with preview bits, you might have a problem running the new bits. So uh, I like a VM anyway. I, I do all my development in a VM, so it was no big deal for me to create a new one. But that's what I do. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1753, which is the one we did with Mika DeMont uh, earlier this year, talking about Studio 2022. And uh, I know Kendra is all in this space too, so I thought this comment would really appeal to her. His mm. Aaron says, I'm not sure how you solve the problem of surfacing features new and old in front of users. I don't think anything would work unless the user is receptive or open to learning them. I mean, blog posts are informative, but then you have to actually read them. Yeah. Oh, I... You go, you go, Kendra. You know this problem. Uh, As soon as I saw that paragraph, I'm like, Kendra needs to hear this. Oh, I do. I absolutely love that problem. It's the question of when is the right time to learn and inform people and try to teach, um, which can be so obnoxious if you get it wrong, because people need to be in a mindset of wanting to learn and being interested in in what's next and um, making sure that whatever features you're surfacing is actually relevant to what they're doing. And especially with developers who are already trying to solve complex problems kind of in their mind and figure out what they want to do next. And they have a ton of distractions already. The second paragraph is thinking about it, you know, data grip was really good and well detailed tips of the startup, but I rarely read them because they're not relevant to what I'm doing right now. I just started Visual Studio because I have some work to do. <laughs> Absolutely. They opened it to get something yeah. done, not to like explore and, you know, steal the spotlight or anything like that. So. Yeah, um, I think one thing that will be able to make it a lot better is trying to, gosh, we we have data, but I don't think we get very, we don't make very good use of some of the data and relate it to like, oh, this user is new to .NET or is new to Visual Studio, or they're used to doing something this way, um, and they've repeated that action multiple times when there's an easier way to do it. Doing something like learning from our telemetry and then having that tip introduced uh, would be really, really valuable. I think it's a solvable problem based on what data we have. Yeah, and it and it and it's what a person looking over your shoulder would do. It's like, hey, I see you doing this over and over again. You know, there's an easier way. Let me show you. You know, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. So to think the idea that the tooling can get smart enough to do that would be very compelling. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, but uninstall the preview bits first. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Okay, let me uh, introduce Kendra. Kendra's been on our show before, but I'll give you the formal introduction. Kendra Havens is a program manager at Microsoft on the .NET and Visual Studio team. Her focus is .NET tooling and the testing experience in Visual Studio. You may recognize her from videos on .NET Core, VS Code, and Docker, in addition to an unruly enthusiasm for technology. Oh, she's unruly. She is unruly. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) 
It's so good to be back. It's good to see you guys a little bit. I know, you know, the audience can't see you. They're just listening. We have video between each other, so we get to see you. And I actually got to give you a hug because we were together at .NET Conf. Absolutely. I very much value those hugs that I got. Yeah, (laughs) just one of those. It was, everybody was so excited to be in the studio. Like, the whole place was in a state. Like, we've been been home too much. So we have so much to talk about, Kendra. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't know where to start. Yeah. I want to start by, I want to start by saying I'm in Visual Studio 22 and I'm writing some code and all of a sudden somebody's writing code with me. What the hell is that? <laughs> well, I just pressed tab and somebody's written all my code for me. Yes. I think you're getting those IntelliCode whole line completions. It kind of has this yeah, I was ghost ready to text call an exorcist. that appears ahead of your cursor. <laughs> Oh, it's me. Ah. I've just been lurking. Um, it's sort of like a subtle live share. No, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Freaky, but very, very helpful. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, I'm so excited about it. It's kind of a combination of IntelliCode mm-hmm. and Roslyn. So it uses Roslyn to figure out what your, you know, what local variables are in scope and everything. So there's a lot of analysis. And then it asks IntelliCode um, sort of what are really common patterns and tries to plug everything into a familiar model that we've 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 trained on on github and and all of the code that's open source out there i think the uh hit rate on stack overflow just went down because hmm. uh you know you're because you're looking Ooh. for that little syntax of now yeah. how do i call asynchronous code from a constructor again i'm gonna hit up stack overflow no it's right there press tab yay but you oh, know, tying that. back to the comment at the beginning of the show, it says like, "When should you present the tip?" It's like while I'm writing the code, mm. and in fact, the idea that you present it as code—it's <laughs> like I'm not putting up a balloon or some text or message or anything. It's like, did you you want me to write this for you? Just like, press just tab. Hit, hit, just hit tab. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. And that like subtle kind of thing where you don't have to dismiss it right. or anything. If it's not right, you can keep yeah. typing and it won't like interfere with any of the, the path that you're on. It's just sort totally of, right. uh, yeah, those kind of UI interactions. That's also a really big deal. Making the tips um, sort of ephemeral. You don't have to dismiss mm, right. them. You can find them if you want them and, and make getting that UI down is. Um, oh, the balance between uh, they notice it and it doesn't interrupt them. I mean, they're literally opposites. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd love to see. I'd love to see it get more advanced. I think multi-line completion, like Copilot has, is going to be, you know, on the horizon for this kind of whole line completion. But uh, you know, we have to kind of merge these models and and figure out uh, what's compliant. I know that GitHub is a wholly owned subsidiary, but the Copilot thing is them, right? It's not your team at all. Yeah, actually, yes. Um, different models uh, and less integration with, um, you know, the actual language. I'm pretty sure Copilot was kind of written in language agnostic right. ways. Um, and that's why it applies to so many things. Um, IntelliCode was as well, but it also has a bit of a deeper interaction um, with with the compiler and Roslyn mm-hmm. itself, especially for mm-hmm. line completion. Uh, one of the advantages of, of IntelliCode is it's also not going to put in like blocks of like GPL code or some <laughs> other people's code. It won't suggest any of that right now. We actually did a lot of filtering to make sure um, it wouldn't be doing anything licensee yeah. suspicious. Yeah. 
um, in any of its, you know, suggestions. And I think that's one of the challenges that Copilot has ahead of it. So, well, I mean, as long as the code base you're writing into is a GitHub project with a license, if you'd only offer code that fit that license, that would be mm -hmm. pretty cool, Ooh, yeah. right? Like, because I, I, you know, I mean, how many years have we been talking about like, don't write another one, use the library that's out there. Mm. You know, all of the history of Absolutely. development, we've talked about that. Heck, .net, alt.net back when it existed was founded on that principle. Like these open source projects are viable. So the idea that we could get a tool smart enough to actually suggest, hey, the thing you're writing, it's a library that exists over here. And it's licensed the same way you're licensed. That's pretty powerful. That would be powerful. I don't think we're there yet, but that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Because we have some, well, we had suggested like top, um, we used to have a suggestion that would run over the top thousand NuGet packages that were being used, all of the types within wow. those, and try to figure out if you're typing them mm -hmm. right now. Um, the problem we had with this, this is kind of really interesting. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I think some parts of it are still functional, but I think we turned it off for some other things, um, because new ASP.NET packages that were being put out like system.txt, um, wouldn't be recommended as often as something that had been used more, even though it was more up to date. So we needed to like entirely kind of rearrange how our model worked because it wasn't making the right suggestions anymore even though some of the types were in the most popular packages those packages weren't right um so kind of updating that i think is something we still need to go back and do and we turned it off for some things um but yeah as, as far as like detecting that the code you're writing that that functionality already exists and is something you can you're allowed to take a dependency on that would that's be another level and, and that's it, you know, it's exciting to me having been involved in development as long as it has. And you think about how many versions of Studio has been and so forth. Like, we're still talking about feature ideas that are like, is that even possible? Could we do that? That would be cool. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I feel like so much is possible. It's about kind of um, narrowing down what's going to be the most impactful yeah. for the most people. Um, and of course, you know, just figuring out the gotchas, figuring out the, oh, Copilot versus IntelliCode versus all the mm -hmm. other things, um, what, what scenarios we're going to cover and, and what things uh, would, would, you know, make make people unable to Is use the Copilot real stuff. yet? I mean, you can... Is it yeah, real I mean, yet? I, I haven't <laughs> yes. used it. I, I didn't, I thought it was sort of like a, in a research stage. What, what is, I mean, yeah, obviously it's not your thing, but do people use it? Um, yes, people are definitely using it. I do believe you just need to sign up okay. uh, for the preview and they're introducing flights into the preview pretty regularly. I know I was at it. I haven't had um, more time to yeah. dig into it a little bit. I'm really curious how well uh, it does with test generation and comparing it with some of the test generators that we already mm. have um, and trying to figure out, do we merge here? We're already trying to kind of merge, um, yeah, so, some other things we have. So I could go into that if you want to talk about it. Well, but. speaking of testing, this is sort of what we're, we're, we want to talk about a bit more, uh, especially in a cross-platform world. This is sort of your, your bailiwick, your wheelhouse. Yes. I had a talk on, uh, at .NET Conf on testing tools and cross-platform apps with .NET. Um, 
really excited about. Where, where do you even want to start? Anything? We've got remote testing. We've got your playwright. Your circus, your monkey. Uh, you pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I'll, I'll go over, I guess, my top favorites. Um, ooh, we've got Hot Reload. I'm sorry. Well, I'll just go. I'll go in order that my talk kind of okay. covered these things in so people can check out the demo and kind of follow mm-hmm. along. Um, one of the first ones is Hot Reload does work with testing now uh, with .NET 6, and it's specifically .NET 6 or higher. So you might not have to build in between mm-hmm. test runs. Wow. No biggie. So you have tests, you do a run, you make a bunch of changes, and you might be able to just run that test again um, and have it hot reload nice. those changes, and that can massively massively yes. reduce your time <laughs> you start you your your test sequence stops on a on a failed test and you literally tweak the code and say okay now run that test again and then it continues the test sequence wow yes so it kind of supports um if you've been uh learning a little bit about a hot reload hot reload has the idea of root edits the same kind of root edits that edit and continue had there's some things like uh if that trigger that will re-trigger a full build. Um, like I think right now it's test discovery. I think we're trying to make hot reload be able to support that. But if you have an entirely new test, we do need to at least build it once. Right. But then on any like a lot of subsequent changes, even changing your logic, um, importing namespaces, that that kind of thing, um, we might actually be able to hot reload it and avoid rebuilding entirely. Right. But there is a line with hot reload where it finally goes, I need to rebuild. Yeah. I, I can't I can't make this change. And one of the cool things about the test explorer, as opposed to hot reload with F5, with hot reload with F5, you click a button to apply mm-hmm. changes and, and reload it. It's a little hot reload flame icon <laughs> at the top of Visual Studio. With the test explorer, we know you want to hot reload whenever you can with test runs. We just assume. Yeah. But if we can't, we'll just trigger a full build. So you don't actually need to press anything different. You can test as you normally would. There's no extra gears or, or knobs or anything. Is that what that fire just icon is at the top of my screen? Testing. I thought that was burn down my repo. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's flame on. Um, no. Uh, yeah, that's that's hot reload at the top of next to kind yeah. of the debug bar and everything. But you don't need to use that with testing. Uh, we'll just hot reload when we mm. when we can, and if we can't, we'll fall back to hot reload ish. <laughs> ish, yeah. Yeah, well, try. Yeah, or I'm I'm really excited about it because it's smart. Uh, and it's use your exact same testing patterns. You don't have to learn anything. You'll just get time yeah. back. That is kind of thing. Yeah, great feature. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it is an experimental checkbox in in your testing tools options. Um, So flip that on. It works for .NET 6 and later. Heart Reload works for things even before .NET 6, even .NET Framework stuff. Mm. We're not like that. Um, So that is one of the limitations so far. Uh, We can't. Yeah, we 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 can't patch the sort of test runtime the same way the debugger does. Okay, so in regular well, no, debugging, it's like you can go to a lot of different places. I mean, the idea that I setting breakpoints on code that's actually executing on a Linux box while I'm working in a Windows box, like every time that happens, I'm freaked out. Like that's voodoo. <laughs> yes, this is a remote test execution. Richard's always amazed by a higher part. level of abstraction. <laughs> it just seems unlikely to I'm work. Like, too. Why, why does this work? This shouldn't work. <laughs> 
Yeah, the remote debugger is really magical. So one of the next things they showed in the talk was um, remote testing, the ability to tech to attach the Visual Studio Test Explorer to a remote environment, including a locally running Linux container, um, WSL installed on your local machine, or an SSH connection. Right. So connecting to a VM or a container mm-hmm. running anywhere, up in Azure, on your server, wherever, um, as long as you get the firewall permissions right <laughs> and, and you enable SSH on the remote machine and yeah. everything like that, um, which is a bit of a, I kind of tried to warn in my talk, it's a bit of a process, especially if you're an internal Microsoft employee. We have a lot of firewalls. Yeah, you know, and, it's and the guy who often wears the tinfoil hat. It's like, you want an SSH port into what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you got to like allow the Visual Studio user specifically. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a bit of a thing. Oh, so it's a specific. It's not the developer's account. It's a it, it is a system. A, it is a user account specifically for Visual Studio Debugger. Uh, yes, it's both. So, firstly, the SSH connection uh, takes in like a username and password that you normally have. We're using um, the connection manager in Visual Studio to do that, which we actually already have because C plus plus has done remote builds for a while now. So we're kind of reusing that to store your SSH credentials. So those aren't in your source code or anything like that. So you put those in and that needs to be um, sort of a Windows account on that machine or um, whatever you're connecting to a, a local account. Then that next step is on that remote machine, you need to allow the Visual Studio user specifically through as well. So the whatever Visual Studio account that you're logged into that will be accessing that remote machine, um, you do need. I think this might also just be specifically for the debugger to okay. step through it, but um, we, it's all in our documentation. <laughs> but in some ways, again, from from an IT perspective, having it not be the user account, but rather be the uh, account specific Visual Studio makes me happy because I can give it a lot less rights in other places. So it's not useful for anything, right? Minimal file access, no, may, maybe not even external access. Yes. Like I can lock that account down because I'm going to give it one superpower to poke into these machines where the code's running and no other powers. Yes, I, I think that's kind of uh, the direction that's we were smart. heading for sure. I, I do think... Um, there might, you know, we're open to feedback. I assume we didn't get it right in our first go. I'd love more I mean, <laughs> security given, experts right? to look into it. Yeah, we've had some internal customers, um, especially the Windows team. I mentioned like Windows creates operating systems. They love running tests on entirely separate VMs with different operating right. systems installed. Um, they've actually, they made this themselves internally, a remote testing kind of capability and they're in Test Explorer and everything. And they're really excited to use the one that um, we <laughs> made, <laughs> the, the people who make developer tools. It is. Isn't that a huge compliment to have a team like that say, hey, we're going to stop using our own tool and use yours? Yes, that we built like custom for our own yeah. things. Um, yeah, we're super, super yeah. stoked. Um, it was really cool to also just learn from their designs and the multi they have the whole thing of like multi VM selection that's really integrated with their um, sort of, uh, they have the whole test platform that manages all of their Azure VMs. It's just very, very specific to them. Right. And I think they needed a, something that's a lot more open. Um, so yeah, I wonder if they hit a point where it's like, we now have to pour a lot of work into this or, 
And I can't imagine they went and says, yours is better, we're going to use yours. It's like, we'd love to use yours, but we need X, Y, Z, alpha, beta, gamma, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yes. Um, one thing as well, so they in, when they did this, it was probably ugh, six, seven years ago, they've been, they actually made their own test explorer. And since then, we've made our the built-in test explorer much, much mm-hmm. better, took care of a lot of performance issues that they're actually still running into. Um, because we didn't know that people had over 500,000 tests. Uh, there was an actual uh, limit in the test explorer wow. that people would hit. I know who it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to imagine um, what I do when 500,000 tests fail. <laughs> Just shut That's down like, the computer you know, for that day. I need a um, week. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so now we're stress testing it up to like a million test cases just in case. And I'm sure someone will break it in, you know, maybe a decade or so. We'll see. And we'll have to bump it up to I'm two not, million. I'm not surprised or five that it million. might be Windows pressing against those limits, right? I mean, they literally had to write special modules for Git to handle the source code repository that big. Mm-hmm. I remember that. So, I mean, there's oh my gosh, so much yeah. stuff that Windows presses against the edges of. The nice thing being for the rest of us is like, Pretty sure I'm not going to need a million tests. Pretty sure. Well, you know, if you have 500,000 tests (laughs) that fail, try looking at the first one that failed. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually an external customer came to us first who was breaking this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of internal teams said, ah, there's some crazy stuff that people have come up with, solution generators and custom merging and tools that they run Mm. through everything so that they have like smaller projects and Mm. it's just yeah yeah a lot of people doing a lot of smart things to get through their day but a lot of duplicated work yeah (laughs) yeah you're you're, you got to be right Five hundred thousand tests a lot of those are generated like they're yeah nobody coded all of those yeah it's that's too many tests (laughs) (laughs) um quite a few of them are for sure Generated so the, by a bunch of tools. Nice. <laughs> you're gonna go. You're gonna go yeah. there. It's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. Uh, of course, it, w- this is all very .NET centric. W- what happens when you're thinking in terms of cross-platform? Like, what are the hooks besides like an SSH port? Does it matter what the code's running on? Is there really any differences? Um, I so we do have some limitations for remote testing right now. Our first version is .NET. We don't have, for example, the C plus um, plus discovery and working on remote right. machines yet. We we wanted to release it at the in the very beginning, and and we definitely have the the idea that this should work for our Python tests and our Node.js tests and everything that the Test Explorer already right. supports. Um, but it's a matter of making sure the test agent discoverers can deploy correctly to those machines and and hook in to all of the things that those adapters need. So, uh, t- t- yes, uh, upcoming. We're very very mm-hmm. aware, um, but we're we're excited to get feedback right now, especially with how people are are using it today. So, oh my gosh, and I'd love to get to. Right now, it's a bring your own compute right. kind of feature. You have to provision the mm-hmm. VM, set everything up, do the SSH, all of that enabling. I love, love, love if it was like just figure it out, put it in Azure, run my test there. Yep. Um, and we could set up a VM for you. Yeah, um, that only connected to your VS instance. And it was just your you know developer 
Well, even multiple VMs. Machine, like, a little. You want to make me happy? It's like, hey, here's my half million tests. Can you run these all in the next hour, and and oh, and yeah. you'll just make as many instances as you need to to split up those tests across all those things and feed it back to me, so I don't have to figure that stuff out. Because I've written that code <laughs> to to disperse test suites across multiple instances, run them all, and then roll the, the data back together again. That's no fun at all. It's a oh, lot yeah. of work. It should be a service, right? It should. I am. We're uh, on it. I'm chomping at the bit. <laughs> I want that. I want to do this. Um, I so we. I've talked a lot about kind of right now. It's really cool because you can target different operating systems and understand how your Linux tests behave on that operating system. Debug through them from your Windows mm -hmm. machine uh, with all of the tools that you like at your fingertips. But like a huge part of this could also be just extra compute. Just don't run all of these tests on my machine so I can keep working on right. other things. Fire off a test run. And so it's just like that just kind push of the workload away up. and spits back the messages. Is that I'm yeah, I think that'll be my next. I really hope I can demo that next year, later sometime. Um, that would be the next step of remote test execution. It's it's a debate of um you know, what we'll get together, right. what what we can cobble up so far. Because that's so. a moneymaker for, for the company as well as for me, right? The idea that when I run, go off and run a test, it's only going to do a few minutes worth of compute. Like, it's not it's not hugely expensive, but it's non-interrupting to me. I can continue to work. Like, that's, mm. that's really yeah. powerful. Like, it's profitable for me, and it is additional consumption for Microsoft. So, you know, that's a revenue source. Like, it's a heck of a service. I think it'd be great. Yeah. I want more people to get on board. <laughs> yeah. You got to you got to yeah, you got to work on this pitch, Kendra. Like, like this is the one that rolls up to the <laughs> VPs. They're like, do it and make that girl a principal. No, it's hard for me. <laughs> I'm like, isn't it just inherently awesome? Why aren't people banging this. down my yeah. door to get this? Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, we just have a lot going on as well. A lot of people are also thinking about um, trying to think how much we've released externally. Um, we're very interested in developer services. I think we have, you might have remember some discussion about code spaces in Visual mm -hmm. Studio and not yeah. just VS Code. Um, we're still very interested in it. We, we kind of um, needed to figure out a lot of architectural things. And I think one of the big ones was uh, Visual Studio you know, needed to be 64, but there's some work ahead of, you know, there was work to do before we actually got to a fully developer service kind of IDE right. solution. Um, so I think there's, there's some things we still need to tie up before we get to that. So I might be ahead of where, well, where it we're does at feel right like now, you have somewhat parallel streams going on with the stuff that's going on with visual studio code and GitHub code spaces and things like that alongside visual studio and, you know, we had to tie in with what used to be called VSO, but it's now the, you know, Azure DevOps. Like, th there's so many parallel lines going on here, Kendra. Sometimes I think it's a bit confusing as to what yeah. pieces we should be using or shouldn't be using. I'm, I'm presuming all this stuff's yeah. going to come together in a beautiful rainbow at some point. <laughs> I think so. I think it actually is slowly. Like, I can definitely think of instances in the past where, things came together because we were trying a lot of different stuff yeah, at once. No, and I like that. Um, like I'm sure. Yeah. Cause now we have solutions and we can choose the best things out of those solutions. Um, yeah. Take the best ideas and, and pull them together. Like we're all ultimately the same company and, and we can make a one right way, but by only by exploring it and seeing what different people valued. 
And hey, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Be a part of a technology team where your ideas become the next big thing. At Rocket Mortgage, you'll be in a supportive environment where innovative thinking and collaboration is not only embraced, but highly encouraged. They give you the freedom to create breakthrough ideas, pursue what you're passionate about, and grow in your career. At Rocket Mortgage, you drive your career and impact millions of lives. So if you're looking for your next career opportunity, check them out. Go to myrocketcareer.com technology to learn more and apply. You know, time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified, with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customers peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage-based plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. You know, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What changed? Well, the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. Well, as for me, to keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server, and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com .net and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t. Go to expressvpn.com slash .net to learn more. And we're back. It's .net Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, hey, hey. And this is our friend Kendra Havens Hello. talking a little bit about this whole cross-platform testing thing and the you know the hangover that is .NET six coming out into the world. <laughs> Not that it was a secret, right? I mean, everything's done in public now, 
You know, we've we did all our preview shows and talking about new features and things for months. That show we did with Mika was from August. But there's certainly, you know, the the Visual Studio stuff. Not a lot of people had seen that unless they've done the preview. So that's I I know that's .NET six, but it's specifically for Visual Studio that uh, Studio twenty twenty two twenty two. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely tens of thousands of people who just tune in for right. the GA yeah. stuff for the right. big ones. And that's what we got. So I'm still, I'm keeping up the yeah, energy, even if I feel like I, I went through the whole thing no, a couple yeah. months ago <laughs> when we when a preview came out or a blog post came out, I'm super pumped uh, to talk about it. It's, it's also a great question for the regular dev who's just trying to get their work done it's like when do you go from 2019 to 2022 like mm-hmm. i got to think if you're listening when this came out only a week or two after dot com you haven't moved to 2022 yet like you're you're studying it you're trying to decide when when because it's going to be disruptive there's some differences like you're, you're going to need a little time to get back to work but with you're tool. gonna love it <laughs> it's gonna feel so good <laughs> i think <laughs> Personally, personally, I think it's actually pretty spectacular. Just the the 64-bitness is amazing. The trade-off with that is, of course, um, a lot of your extensions might not be updated for 2022 yet um, because that 64-bit was a major break for for quite a lot of um, people out there. So I know we've worked with a lot of extension authors, though. Um, We're kind of going down the list and trying to make sure our community can all move together forwards but uh it's it's still a list for sure isn't there more to be done here to do cross-platform development with the framework yeah um so another thing that i showed in my talk was a little bit of an intro to playwright um we mentioned you know remote testing was kind of we we'd love to make it language agnostic playwright is truly language agnostic from from a platform level so it was actually written in typescript and it wasn't written by the .net team but it works in c sharp playwright is our new web ui framework uh, that microsoft is producing it is actually 1.0 i think it's been out for um a little over a year probably ooh maybe two um by now but uh it's completely focused on web ui asynchronous uh, UI testing. Um, So it's all of the things that made web UI kind of glitchy in the past, Um, not enough delays, not rendered elements. It was calling services. You needed to add, I think Selenium required you to add some sleep threads um, just to kind of function and reduce the flakiness Mm. of the tests. Um, That is all added at a fundamental level, every, every step that you add to these playwright tests are async await, <laughs> um, which is just really, really cool. It's all asynchronous. So um, it's awaiting all of these mm-hmm. steps. So uh, playwright works for TypeScript, Python, .NET, and Java. Wow. Um, I know <laughs> it was cool. So I get to have all of these benefits, even though it didn't come from the .NET team um, of this uh, framework. So it does have a recorder. You can launch it and browse to your website. It records everything you click on and highlights these text elements um, as you kind of uh, page around your your website and it can replay them um, headlessly or non-headlessly. So you can actually like re-watch all of those steps play in front of you and uh, it can take screenshots. There's a lot of really lovely built-in details. Uh, I mean, uh, until you said that, I was thinking Selenium, but... That yeah. sounds very clever. 
I'd say it's kind of the next iteration of that. I think they looked really in-depthly at some of the things they could um, solve with selenium. Right. I say it a little bit differently, selenium. I'm a Canadian. We say things <laughs> um, funny. Selenium. Selenium. <laughs> Aluminium. Aluminium. Java. Pasta. Yeah, so they, they took a, a real look at um, sort of what caused a lot of flakiness in web UI tests. Web UI tests are great until you update the website. Then they're all broken. Yeah. So being able to kind of re-record quickly and make sure that they stay functional, right. even if um, there's there's delays in servers and, and things. And especially being able to put in those screenshots at different steps of your test. So you can just page through all the screenshots and kind of figure out what's wrong um, is, is really helpful. So it's, it might be even a little bit faster than debugging if you have all of those. So um, it's... Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I definitely recommend checking out um, the code generator. Oh, and I should say it's it is cross platform, so it works with all modern browsers. Nice. Um, you can run it on Linux as well. It's the recorder itself is just a CLI tool that is cross platform. So I in my demo I started it from the Visual Studio terminal, but if you're on VS Code or VS Mac, you can also fire it up from from those terminals as well. Oh, so playwrights all Node.js, so you guys didn't have to write this. There's no C sharp here. Yeah, I got it for free. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> it's still a little, there's still a little more work we have to do. So like the generator doesn't always know what test framework you're using right. for C Sharp. So there's a little like the assert equals is using a, a little bit different, you know, syntax for each one, but it, it actually generates commented out asserts. So you can uncomment them and fix them up um, as you go forward. We'll, we'll try to, you know, I was just talking with them about my demo and they're like, oh, we want to polish that. We'll get, we'll get to it soon. So nice. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it, and it's, it, it's just interesting to see all these pieces moving at once. That's an agnostic UI frame uh, testing framework. Like we have lots of choices there. And then uh, at the same time, we have these amazing debuggers on the back end as well. There are like third-party tools for the kind of end-to-end -end measuring how well the database is performing in the mid-tier, like all of that sort of stuff. Have we seen many changes in, in that? Like I, I, I used to you know, live in, in Nance, in, in Redgate's tool, for just doing profiling of the mid-tier because that was how, how we figured that stuff out. Um, we're very interested in integrating performance tests. Mm -hmm in more of a playwrighty service or a load testing service. Um, we've gotten a ton of feedback that uh, from our, our load testing service that we did have is um, end of life in, in Azure. Cause yeah, um, there's, there's some blog posts about why and everything, but uh, we, we still totally recognize it as a huge need. Um, we just didn't like our, our solution right. for it yet right now. I'd say, there's always there's definitely wheels turning, um, but I think we're we're only kind of in private preview for some load testing services, and and they're very um, kind of playwright focused as well. So you'll get all of the same. Oh, interesting. Uh, sort of, it, yeah, asynchronous wait abilities, but I think they'll also assert for what times are expected. So it's both measuring and waiting, <laughs> um, as you kind of. Yeah, I mean, the cloud seems like a perfect place to be generating load tests from. But since your app's probably running in the cloud, there's a little bit of self-dealing going on there. It's going to mm. do better in the test yeah. than it's going to do in real life, right? Like, you, you kind of want two clouds. 
<laughs> yeah. So nothing, nothing to you know announce yet or anything, but definitely recognize need, um, especially because we had some services that that tried to solve it in the past. Right. So yeah, it's a, it's not an easy problem. I used to build a little portable load test rig to take around to to shows and show off what load tests look like and failovers and things like that. We called the bag secondary, secondary inspection. inspection. That's what TSA called it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pack four, six little computers that all fit into a rollaway bag. There's no good way to show that to security. And I remember your story about uh, <laughs> when they'd say, uh, "Is this your bag?" And you'd say, "Yeah, let me tell you about this bag. This is the best bag ever. <laughs> this this has got this." And you start explaining to them, and they're like, "Go away." <laughs> Yes. Well, that's why, you know, I've crossed. You go straight into the demo. Yeah, I've dealt with a lot of security people. And what security people are not used to is you being excited to talk to them. (laughs) It makes them very uncomfortable and they make you go away. (laughs) Now, I have extra voodoo these days because these days, apparently, I'm everybody's dad. So, you know, border guards can only be so angry with you when you look like their dad. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's a new thing. I wasn't used to that. But yeah, you know did a lot of work to really show people what a load test looks like, how you make improvements and see good results, like that, that series of steps, the, that the different, you know, that there's no prefer, perfect performance, there's just the next choke point. And so the tooling, and this is like in the Studio 2008 era, the tooling would show us the choke point is here and we'd make a little adjustment and then it, the choke point would move somewhere mm-hmm. else. And I, I gotta think we can push all this stuff into the cloud it's going to be the same set of problems. Like the cloud will scale for you pretty good. You just pay more, turn up the knob. But there is a point where the software matters and no amount of knob tweak is going to fix it. For sure. Uh, I saw the blog post from Rich Lander talking about .NET 6 where he said, fastest .NET ever. And by the way, his Twitter handle literally is run faster. <laughs> run faster 2000. <laughs> we love it. He's all about speed. No, I absolutely agree. Um, the .NET 6 performance improvements, especially over .NET 5, because .NET 5 was already kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it happened again this year yeah. <laughs> um, is, is just, it continues to blow me away. We had over Stephen, uh, Stephen's blog post. Stephen Taub. Went over, Stephen Taub went over 400 PRs um, that improved the .NET uh, frameworks and libraries and runtime and everything incrementally um, and kind of talking about basic things like formatting mm-hmm. and get length and the microsecond and nanosecond improvements to every single little thing that, you know, we all use millions of times um, a second and everything. So it, it does have a huge impact. So .NET 6 is GA. It's faster than ever. We have a .NET, .NET uh, upgrade assistant that can help you um, kind of upgrade your projects as well. It's an automated tool that will update usings and, and highlight all the, the places in your code that you need to update. So you can kind of assess how difficult it might be um, to upgrade. So, and it helps as well. But the idea that you would take your existing app and just recompile it in six, make the tweaks you need to that the upgrade system tells you to, coming from five, I presume, and it would be faster. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Visual Studio 2022 as well is faster. It's 64-bit, which we're all really excited about. So, yeah, hoping that everyone's days will be speedier. They can get more work done, much less waiting. Awesome, all all the faster things. Kendra, thanks. It's always so good to talk to you, and and it's great to see your face, and I hope we can see it in person someday soon. Yeah. So good to see you. Yeah, for sure. All right. Take care, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. 
.NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time bomb.